Well, the Itihad, the original idea was for the ulama of the ummah to have a, a union, an organization that's an umbrella for them. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Alaikum assalam. We are here this morning uh, with uh, a distinguished scholar, Dr. Jasir Auda, who is uh, a visiting professor at ISTEC, and he's also uh, the president of the Makalsit Institute and board of trustees members member of Itihad. Uh, I'm Abdul Latif Muhammad Ibrahim from uh, International Institute of Advanced Islamic Studies, IAIS, Malaysia. And uh, this morning we'll be sharing uh, our discussion. Our discussion will be on the Itihad particularly, but of course we'd also be uh, talking about other issues affecting the Ummah, which I think uh, Dr. Jasir is well versed in. So without much ado, I would like to ask, uh, I'll start the ball rolling by asking uh, Dr. Jasir, uh, can you tell us something about the estab uh, establishment of Itihad, why it came about, what is the purpose of the uh, organization, uh, the nature, the, the character of Itihad, and what you what are the objectives of uh, itihad inshallah wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullah and uh, good morning uh, prof latif and thank you so much for the invitation and i would like to thank iais for the kind invitation uh, my visits uh, to iais over the years were always bringing very interesting discussions and made me think about so much of the ideas that i propose and i go back and think and research and so on so I hope that this discussion will also be useful to me uh, as a researcher uh, this way. Uh, Ittihad is the first word of the title of this organization, Al-Ittihad Al-Alami Al-Ulama Al-Muslimin, the International Union for Muslim Scholars. Oh. The International Union for Muslim Scholars is an idea that uh, had started with our Ustaz and Shaykh, uh, Rahimahullah, Shaykh Yusuf Al-Qaradawi, back in the 90s of the previous century. Uh, and he tried to establish that union as an NGO, as a non-government organization in different countries in the Arab world. He actually tried to establish it in every country of the Arab League. And all the countries in the Arab League did not agree to register that. Uh, so he tried a few European countries and he ended up registering it in Ireland as an NGO, as an Irish NGO, as International Union for Muslim Scholars, that was the name. And then eventually in 2012, a committee from the Ittihad, I was part of that committee, applied to the Qatari government to register the Ittihad in Qatar. Qatar does not have NGOs in its laws, but it was by a special decree for the Ittihad to have a status of a non-government organization, a special status. And therefore, the headquarters of the Ittihad moved from Dublin in Ireland to Doha, 
uh, that was maybe about 12 years ago. Uh, so that's the establishment of the union as a history, as an organization. But the union has a number of offices, uh, offices full-time and so on in about a dozen countries, uh, in Turkey and Egypt and in other places, Tunis, etc. And there are scholars in the union from about 90 different countries around the world, east, west, north, south. So that's the establishment of the union and the organization. Yeah. So, uh, what, 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 how would you see the achievements of the Itihad so far? Do you, what have they achieved so far? Well, the Itihad, the, the original idea was for the ulama of the ummah to have a, a union, an organization that's an umbrella for them. Uh, you see, in the ulama of Islam, all over our history, are divided into categories, if you wish. One category is what you could call um, the official ulama. You know, the ulama that work for governments mm. in different ministries and uh, the imams of the mosques, of the government-funded mosques, etc., and the muftis in the countries that have something called the, you know, fatwa council or Majlis ifta or Dar al ifta or any. So there is a category of ulama that you could call rasmiyun, official. Ulama, official. Yes. And they are ulama of the ummah, of course, uh, those who are uh, sincere. Uh, they are ulama of the ummah and they serve Islam in their places in governments. But the idea was to create a body that is more of an NGO. It's for the ulama who are not official. Uh, the union is not represented by official ulama from different countries, like, for example, the Majma' al-Fiqh in Jidda or the Majma' in Mecca or any of that. You find that every country sends their mufti or sends their representatives. The union is not composed of representatives of countries uh, because it's not, it's not about that. It's about the non-official ulama that you could call ulama al-ummah who work for the, the independent independent ulama uh, and the representation is from different madhabs madhahib mm. al-ummah uh, all the madhabs that are considered uh, you know al-jama'ah you know the the general ahl al-qibla of islam mm. the original idea is for all of these ulama to unite in one institution and for them to have a democratic process uh, of electing a leadership mm. and of issuing statements on important issues of the ummah and as well to take initiatives, educational initiatives, research, fatwa, um, and so on, the different, you know, of course, committees under the Ittihad. So that's the original vision. Since the establishment, some of this has been achieved um, and there are many obstacles, obviously, especially because of the political scene and so on. But the Etihad is not, is not a political party and is not affiliated to any political group. It is a ulama body. Mm -hmm. uh, why would you create a ulama body? And there are government ulama bodies. Is why you have the same answer to why you have NGOs and you have government. Uh, government has 
ministries that take care of the economics of the country, mm. but there are NGOs that could work with issues of poverty, relief, yeah. um, issues of society. Yes, the government is responsible, but the NGOs are responsible too, in yeah, a modern so you, state. You might say that uh, this Etihad is just like, uh, it's like a check and balance. It's like a check and balance for uh, FS affecting the Ummah, which despite being uh, tackled by the official ulama, which you mentioned just now, but at the same time, you have a second opinion, you have some uh, outside uh, opinion on matters affecting the Ummah. Is it something like that? Yeah, of course, of course, an independent uh, opinion. And not just uh, in terms of opinion, but also that takes initiatives, you yeah. know, educational initiatives uh, and da'wah initiatives uh, and so forth, like trying to create um, parallel existence uh, of the ulama voice. And that parallel existence is not initially against the official existence. It's not like that. It's not black and white. But yeah. it's, um, it's like when you have, as I said, a relief organization uh, or a masjid that is built by the population. Sometimes they build a masjid or a yeah. musalla or a surah that is not necessarily against the masjid of the wilaya or the city or the government, but it's a similar masjid, parallel masjid, yeah. and so on. So uh, you were mentioning about the leadership of uh, the founder of this uh, body, of course, the very esteemed scholar, Al-Marhum. Uh, Sheikh Yusuf Kardawi, and he was an institution in himself. I think the Muslim Ummah uh, uh, referred to him on many matters re uh, regarding fatwa, you know, and he used to be giving, and he was an institution by himself. But uh, since his passing uh, recently, I mean, just a few two years back or so, uh, he's been replaced by the current chairman, Sheikh Ali Kardawi. So what do you see uh, the direction of uh, Itihad under the new leadership of uh, Sheikh Ali? Can yeah. you please describe? Well, Sheikh Yusuf, uh, uh, our Ustaz and Sheikh, uh, before he died, he uh, nominated uh, our Ustaz as well, uh, Professor Ahmed Raisuni, mm. to be the leader of the Itihad. And uh, Sheikh Raisuni continued with the Ittihad for three, four years mm. of his leadership, okay. uh, trying to establish educational institutes and trying to restructure mm. the committees and so on and uh, have dialogue, etc. He worked on many projects, uh, Sheikh Raisuni. And um, it's well known that Sheikh Raisuni had some comments related to Mauritania and Algeria and Morocco, etc., some political comments mm. uh, that some members did not uh, appreciate because they had a different political position, mm. was not the position of the Etihad, whether Sheikh Raisuni's position or the other position was not really the job of the Etihad, mm. but because of the members who did not like uh, Sheikh Raisuni's comments on Mauritania and Algeria, uh, the Sheikh resigned from his uh, position mm -hmm. and the uh, board i'm a member of which uh, elected one of his vices uh, sheikh saqaf mm -hmm. uh, from indonesia mm -hmm. um, to replace him for a year or two until we had the elections again okay. uh, in a couple of weeks back uh, in doha we re-elected uh, we elected now uh, sheikh ali al-qaradaghi as the new president so basically sheikh ali is the fourth president of the Ittihad. 
after Sheikh Al-Qaradawi, Sheikh Al-Raisuni, and Dr. Saqaf, mm. and uh, then Sheikh Ali Qaradawi. Mm. Uh, basically, the presidency is the symbol of the Ittihad, is the, the members of the General Assembly. Uh, the Ittihad has uh, many members, tens of thousands, but uh, about a thousand of them uh, gathered in Doha and elected Sheikh Ali. So he uh, is a symbol of the Ittihad and the primary spokesperson Mm. Uh, of the Etihad. The Etihad, however, is an organization that has a number of committees and many offices and so on that is doing the same work mm. that we started uh, from the uh, initiation of the Etihad in 2005. Mm. Um, what Sheikh Ali uh, Qaradaghi, our Ustad, uh, Allah Yikrimu, uh, has pledged is to do uh, what he called muassasiyya or to uh, focus on the organizational work. Uh, in his uh, pledge when he was elected to the presidency, he said that he wants the work of the Etihad to be more of an organizational work and for every idea to become an organization that would really have its own impact. Yeah. Uh, so basically we're talking about an organization for da'wah, an organization for education, mm. um, initiatives for dialogue mm. and so forth to really work on how the Etihad could become more of an organization and not, uh, you, you know, not revolving necessarily around the president. Of course, it revolved around our Ustad, Sheikh Al-Qaradawi, yeah. because as you mentioned, he was uh, the Ustad of all of us and he was, uh, Rahimahullah, an organization in its own right. Uh, Sheikh Qaradawi lived in Hijri uh, 100 years. Uh, in uh, common era, he lived 96 years. Yeah. And therefore this long life of working for Islam and so on, by the time we elected him to the presidency of the Ittihad as the founding chairman, uh, he came with his own thought and his own ideas and enemies and friends, etc. So the Ittihad uh, was very much influenced by his character, uh, Rahimahullah. Yeah. Uh, uh, and he considered all of us to be projects, like he would consider the scholars, the younger ones, his children age, like myself, mm -hmm. uh, to be projects that the Etihad is means to helping them. Uh, Etihad in its own right is not an objective, but it's an umbrella through which scholars could thrive, uh, take responsibilities, etc. Uh, the responsibility that our Sheikh Rahimahullah gave me uh, at some point was the leadership of the Da'wah Committee, what's called the Da'wah Committee. Mm. So through the Da'wah Committee, I remember uh, we did a lot of work in, in about 22 different countries, according to the report mm. that we presented to him eventually, uh, trying to make unions with Da'wah organizations and trying to find uh, issues that uh, of intellectual importance like the translations of the Quran, where the gaps are, etc. Mm. Uh, Da'wah issues related to answering questions about Islam and mm. what we call in Arabic shubuhat or the tough questions really or, or people who have accusations against Islam. So under his leadership we were doing for example myself who I was uh, leading the Da'wah committee. Uh, in one of the cycles, I led the scholars training committee 
لجنة تدريب العلماء. So from in different countries around the world, we went and we tried to train the scholars on sensitive issues like مقاصد الشريعة, like الوسطية, uh, like the contemporary fatwa, فقه الأقليات in the minorities uh, and so forth. So the union was influenced by the sheikh's ideas and the sheikh's students. And now I believe we are moving towards a more systematic stage where it is not just the personality of the sheikh, rahimahullah, and his students, we're all his students anyway, but it's more uh, of trying to build organizations that have a lasting impact. Mm. Uh, and also one of the mandates uh, that our Ustad Sheikh Ali mm. Al-Qaradaghi has announced is, is to also go back to dialogue, especially with Muslim governments. Uh, Sheikh Qaradawi, during the time of what was called the Arab Spring, took a stance, not against the governments necessarily, but a stance with the people, that people are calling for justice, especially social justice, etc. So he supported the people, and uh, we all know the scenes when he went to Tahrir Square and gave that khutbah with like a couple million people in the streets. So some governments considered the sheikh and the Etihad in general to be an enemy of them. And that is not true because the Etihad was never against governments in Muslim lands, but it is with the people if they go out in the streets and ask for justice and ask for um, you know, rights that happened back in the last decade in Syria and Sudan, and Tunis obviously and Egypt, etc different countries and Iraq and Yemen and everywhere. And mm. uh, so the Etihad stood with the people which caused the Etihad a problem with some of the governments. Mm. But uh, our mandate now is to go back to dialogue, uh, to try to open dialogue with the different governments in the Muslim world in general, and especially in the Arab world, mm. so that the Etihad could have a role that is that its mandate the role of an independent uh, ulama voice that builds, uh, that is not necessarily against the current political systems, but is trying to reform and is trying to advise on issues uh, like the current issues and so on. Yeah. yeah. So you are talking about the uh, direction. I mean, what is being done by Itihad uh, is perhaps it's a, uh, it's a pioneering effort in uh, scholarship. For example, uh, your the, the concept of Makassid and also Wasatia, and you have set up institute Makassid institutes uh, in many places, I think. Uh, so, but this is something perhaps uh, which is uh, quite new in the context of the Islamic uh, movement or the Islamic uh, thought. You know, uh, it's still. Uh, it still has got some time, especially when you find that there are, uh, for example, the other ulama, which you didn't categorize as now, let's say the traditional conservative ulama, uh, you know, not the progressive, the, the inclusive types, you know, who can accept the maqasid framework. So do you see this as a challenge to the work of Itihad? Uh, how are you going to overcome uh, this? Because I think at, at the Ummah level, I mean, of course you have social media, now it's a globalized world. You, you can reach information everywhere. But then the problem is, 
you know the, the conflict with the those ulama maybe uh, it could be that they yeah. would not be so happy with the development of uh, maqasid or wasatiyah yeah. can you explain well that's that's normal that's normal that voices of renewal in our ummah has its you know naysayers and people yeah. who are against the renewal It's not just Sheikh Yusuf Qaradawi and Wasatiyah. Imam Abu Hanifa had his enemies. Imam Shafi yeah. was accused of bid'ah. Imam Ahmad yeah. and, and Imam Malik and so forth. And Ali al-Bayt, obviously. And mm. Like every time there is an imam uh, who brings new ideas to Islam, uh, like Imam Shafi in his Risala, and he tried to bridge the gap between the two conflicting parties at this time, if you read the, yeah. the book Al-Risala or the message. Mm. And uh, people accused him of all sorts of things. So it's normal that Sheikh Qaradawi, when he started the movement of Al-Wasatiyah, and he and a number of other scholars really in his time, that would be around the middle of the previous century, really, some, some 70, 80 years back now, mm. Uh, mm. as a movement uh, that defined the thought of the Islamic movements in general. Uh, so uh, he was part of the Muslim Brotherhood in his youth, and then he became independent from them. But the thought of the Muslim Brotherhood is more of the Wasati uh, thought. Hmm. Uh, not only that, but the, um, for example, some of the universities in India and the approach they take, Nadwat al-Ulama, for example, the relationship uh, between Sheikh Yusuf and Sheikh Abu al-Hassan Nadwi was very strong and mm. Nadwat al-Ulama also took a Wasati school. Uh, we have Wasati voices all over that joined the Ittihad from Africa, North and South, from Asia, different countries, minorities and majorities. Mm. Uh, we have people who affiliate themselves to the Wasati schools in Europe and North and South America. And the Ittihad, by the way, has individual memberships and has uh, organizational memberships. So we have thousands of individuals and also thousands of organizations that join the Ittihad. But also uh, there are people who do not uh, affiliate themselves to the Wasati school. And in the last decades of Sheikh Yusuf's uh, life, rahimahullah, he and a number of other scholars Uh, some of them are well known in Malaysia, like the scholars who were behind the uh, International Institute, uh, the International Institute of Islamic Thought, and eventually IAUM, the International University of Malaysia, mm-hmm. uh, like Sheikh Taha Al-Alwani, uh, who was part of this initiative, and others, Dr. Abdul Hamid Abu Suleiman, Rahimahullah, Rahimahullah Jami'an. Uh, they were part of the Wasati school. Uh, the, uh, Professor Ismail Farooqi was he? Professor Ismail Farooqi was also part of the Wasati stream. You can classify him this way. Of course, Islamization of knowledge is a particular project. Uh, there is the Maqasid project as a particular project. Mm-hmm. There are people who talk about integration, not mm-hmm. Islamization. Mm-hmm. People who are talk about renewal, not or reform these are projects uh, that are all i would classify as part of the the wasati general uh, stream and of course you mentioned the traditional i don't classify necessarily scholars into progressive and um, others you know progressive idea is not really uh, an islamic categorization but 
the traditionalists, people who prefer to follow the madhahib mm. uh, and uh, like to stick to one madhab and not. Uh, some of these scholars are in the union, actually. There are scholars mm. in the union of Muslim mm. scholars who participate only as Maliki or Shafi'i or there are scholars who are like that, many of them actually. Mm -hmm. And there are others who have a wider scope, uh, closer to our Shaykh Rahimahullah, mm -hmm. that pick from the different madhabs, what he called al-ijtihad al-intiqai, the selective ijtihad. He selects from the different madhab. And when he used to be asked, what is your madhab? He would say, I'm Hanafi, I'm Shafi, I'm Hanbali. You can call me Hanafshai. So he would just make an Arabic word to whatever, like, he's, like he wasn't really, uh, going by that classification. Is it a challenge? I don't think it is because the Ummah is always mutanawwa'a. Um, the Ummah is always diverse. Yeah. Like we always have the Shafi'is and the Hanafis and the Mu'tazilis. And, yeah. and Sheikh Yusuf actually used to say that and used to write that, that the Ummah of Islam is much bigger than any school. Uh, he, would, he would call it Harfiyat uh, ibn Hazm اعتزاليه القاضي عبد الجبار و you know and so forth like the imam maliks of the ummah and the القاضي عبد الجبار the معتزلي and the jahid and so on and جعفر الصادق and this is all part of the ummah and that is the approach of the ittihad that it's a unifying place and not a dividing place some people do not like the unification that is up to them. It's, uh, mm -hmm. But it's not really a challenge. I think the challenge is for those who do not wish for independent scholars to have a voice. Mm -hmm. And that is the major challenge. Uh, because some uh, governments and some scholars do not want uh, an independent scholar to voice an opinion or give a fatwa or write a book without necessarily the approval of the madhab or mm. the university or a government body. And that's not everybody. Some governments are very open uh, to hearing scholars mm. and to give them space. Mm. So, so talking about that, but before we come to other issues, uh, a bit sensitive perhaps, where do you get your funding to operate and uh, how, how, is it, how do you finance yourself? You know, because you you, you, were, you were giving us a list of activities that you were, you were doing. So this, yeah. of course, is costly, especially if you have uh, the ulama having to travel and you know, so many other things to do. So how do you manage? Yeah. Well, no, it's not a sensitive question. Actually, it's a very important question, and thank you for asking it. Uh, the Ittihad has a number of um, sources of income, hmm. uh, primary of which is the membership of its scholars uh, you mean the, uh, there are scholars there are member paid? membership fees yeah oh, there, are, there are membership fees they are they're different between different countries depending on their economy hmm. uh, but uh, you know an average uh, membership fees is about a hundred dollars uh, American every year Everywhere. and you have um, a couple thousand scholars who are active members but the affiliated members of the Etihad are close to 100,000. And therefore, and, uh, other scholars, members, yeah, affiliated, affiliated through through Do their organization. Well? Do they have to pay? The organizations pay. So there are organizations wow. fees, and there are individual fees. So the uh, the the income number one of the Ittihad is 
the, the membership fees. Membership. The second income is donations uh, that the Etihad receives, especially for particular projects. Like for example, when we have the da'wah activities that I mentioned, mm. there were da'wah organizations that have their own sources of funds that supported us in uh, holding these activities. Uh, and when we had a meeting in uh, Turkey, uh, in, for the whole committee and planning and so on, mm. uh, there was a, a hosting by one of the municipalities in Istanbul. Mm. Uh, they hosted us for a few days. And when we had the meeting recently in Doha, we were hosted by the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, but we applied to the Ministry of Foreign Affairs in Qatar to host a meeting. So you're based in Qatar, but then the, does the Qatari government itself... Uh... No. The Qatari government has no relation with the Ittihad in terms of funding. Okay. But the Qatari government, Jazamullah Khair, made a waqf. Mm -hmm. uh, so a waqf for the Ittihad uh, many years back uh, during Sheikh Yusuf's time, that was a piece of land. And then eventually the financial committee dealt with a number of business people and there was an apartment building built okay. on that. The renting of that building gives some funding okay. to the Ittihad. But Qatar is not the only country that did that. We had a similar waqf in Sudan mm. uh, given you, 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 by the government. Finances might be covered by waqf. By the awqaf, yeah. yeah. And we have a project called Waqf al-Ittihad mm. uh, that we have been fundraising for it for many years. Uh, but we, we haven't. So that is also part. At some point, we had an office in Egypt uh, and there was Egyptian organizations, official and unofficial, that also funded uh, us. Mm. We have, mm. uh, of course, uh, as I mentioned, not the Turkish government itself, but municipalities in Istanbul mm. or in other cities in Turkey. Mm. They host us some of our activities mm. through their awqaf. Uh, the awqaf, and of course, a place like Turkey has a number of awqaf. Um, in Tunis, uh, we had a research center now closed with the, with the new changes in the government and the um, head of the union in Tunis, Sheikh Rashid Balushi, of course, is in prison now mm. over these allegations. But uh, Sheikh Rashid at that time did not receive anything from the government, but it was from different NGOs that mm. were interested in funding the research. Okay. And the publication that we did through Tunis was also in collaboration with some publishers, like book publishers. Mm. Uh, at some point, there was collaboration with the uh, Furqan Foundation in London. I was uh, one of its directors at some point, um, which was part of the Yemeni foundation. Mm. So foundations, NGOs, yeah. funding parts of the Etihad, publishing some of its books, uh, covering expenses when the ulama meet. But the Etihad until today is actually keeping its mandate that it's an independent organization and does not accept direct funding from governments. Mm. Uh, it's only for so events. That, that, that is to preserve the independent identity of the organization. Exactly, the independent, the nature, the nature of it. It's an NGO, it's not yeah. really. So an NGO could take a grant from the government for a project or a conference, mm. but an NGO is not under government. Like this is not how it works. Yeah, yeah. And the headquarters was in, uh, in Dublin. Uh, of course, we didn't receive anything from the Irish government or any of that, except for, uh, you know, as an NGO, you have, you know, your tax, uh, you know, exemptions, etc. in Europe. Yeah, okay. And in, it, in, uh, in Doha now, it's the same thing. And there is an office in Turkey that is also has its own waqf. Do you have any in Malaysia? 
there is an office in Malaysia. There is an office in Malaysia and it is headed uh, by Dr. Wan Suki. Uh, here, uh, he's from Klantan. Okay. And Dr. Wan is actually elected back to the board a couple of weeks back when we had our elections in uh, Doha. Okay. He was elected by the popular vote of the scholars. Mm-hmm. So he is uh, in the new board and he is heading our office in Malaysia. In Malaysia. Yeah. That's good. Interesting. Okay. I, I'll, I'll, I'll now uh, maybe go to uh, uh, outside of Itihad, uh, what you have described as, your, as the work that you do. Uh, looking at uh, the condition of the Ummah, especially with conflict zones and you know how the situation is like, especially uh, right now, of course, the the most uh, uh, important issue affecting the Ummah is Palestine. So what, what role does Itihad play in the context of uh, issues affecting Muslims, especially in Palestine, in Kashmir, in uh, minorities and uh, other minorities somewhere in, in certain parts of the world. So how, how do you, what do you, is there any action from uh, Itihad to address these uh, very burning issues which need some kind of, I'll take an example. Is, is there anything like, because is, scholars are, are the, some of the world-renowned scholars are under the umbrella of Itihad, okay. Uh, they come up with fatwa. Okay, uh, uh, we find that for the, there are certain practices among the Muslims uh, f- uh, in the context of uh, they, they're quite traditional, you know. Uh, like for example, uh, pil- pilgrimage pilgrimage to the to Makkah, you know, to perform Hajj and Umrah. Let's take Umrah for example. For for Umrah, we find that that you know uh, people sometimes they go every year for Umrah. Uh, it's a costly affair, you know, these days uh, to go for an umrah. But perhaps they can afford it. And uh, I'm not trying to say that it is not to be, but uh, can there be some kind of, uh, let's say, uh, 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 rethinking uh, in the in the fatwa or something from the ulama so as to channel funds to the Palestinians, for example, who are now suffering? And especially with the war now going on, and you can see that the displacement of two million over Palestinians in Gaza and the, the destruction. And Gaza is now wasteland. It's been made into a wasteland by the regime, the Zionist regime. And how how to rebuild and to bring back the life to the, the suffering Palestinians uh, would need a lot of money. It just cannot come from the governments alone. I think the Ummah should also come in. And you would have heard of the uh, uh, United Nations Relief Agency for Palestine, which has been, uh, now it's not getting its funds from the main donors. So there's a shortfall in that as well. So do you think something can be done by Itihad to address this problem? Yeah, of course, of course. The mandate of the Itihad is uh, voicing opinions, uh, giving fatwas, giving the Islamic perspective on things. Uh, the mandate of the Ittihad is not political in the sense that the Ittihad itself is not a political organization. It doesn't govern budgets or ministries or it doesn't have armies. It doesn't have um, a relationship with political parties anywhere. This, this is not what the Ittihad is doing. And therefore, the Ittihad 
as a body of scholars has to sound the opinion, the Islamic opinion. Um, in all of these issues, the Ittihad actually did give these opinions. Uh, the Ittihad issued a number of fatwas uh, mentioning Umrah. Yeah, one of them was related to whether it is better to do Umrah or to give money for what's happening in Palestine for the relief organizations, etc. And the Ittihad gave the fatwa that the money should go to the relief organizations. Uh, in fact, the Ittihad had deliberations about the Hajj itself. But then eventually the scholars decided that no, Hajj is a farida, is necessary. People have to go to Hajj, especially if they have not done Hajj before. Yes, but if they have done Hajj or if it is Umrah and therefore it is Nafil, it is not the required uh, hukum, it is a recommendation or optional, mm. then it is better that you relieve uh, your brothers and sisters in Palestine. Yeah. Uh, so the Ittihad gives these opinions. The Ittihad supported uh, the uh, resistance uh, movement in Palestine mm. because we are talking about an occupied land and this costed uh, Sheikh Qaradawi rahimahullah at that time fatwas against his life from some of the extreme groups in the occupied land mm. and so forth and it costs the scholars of the Ittihad uh, also similar attacks and threats because of their opinion, uh, supporting the resistance. So this is basically what the Ittihad could offer, uh, trying to um, relieve the blockade that is happening. So the Ittihad gave a number of uh, statements and fatwas that it is haram, it is a kabira, it is a major sin to uh, block the relief from our brothers and sisters in, in Gaza. Uh, or to participate in the attacking army uh, and so forth. It is a major sin. And uh, some of the scholars of the Ittihad uh, gave opinions that it even amounts to ridda or apostasy. The Ittihad officially did not give the ridda kind of fatwa. Officially said it's a major sin. But many individual scholars from the leadership of the Ittihad mentioned that there is a great danger for Muslims who support the enemies, that they could be outside the circle of Islam mm -hmm. and so forth. So basically, yes, we need a lot of effort, uh, but we need also to ask from the scholars as much as they can do. Uh, they are just scholars of Islam, especially they are non-official. They don't have power, basically, except for the power of the truth and the power of saying the truth. Alhamdulillah, the International Union for Muslim Scholars all over its years have been saying the truth on these issues. Uh, we made statements and sent messages and even asked for boycotting and so on during the oppression of our brothers and sisters in China. Mm. Uh, we took a similar position on Kashmir, a similar position, you name it, uh, on Yemen, on Rohingya. obviously Syria, Rohingya, um, different parts, whether in the Arab world or outside in Africa. Uh, so we take the, the right positions on these things, but it takes uh, more than that for our ummah to be able to defend itself. Uh, it takes uh, political effort, it's very important. Governments have to come together. The union called for the Muslim governments to unite forces and unite economies and 
unite their will. Many of the governments are actually taking a very clear stance on the issue in Palestine. Since I'm in Malaysia, I have to really greet the government, Zakullah Khairan, for the stance it's taking. It's a principled stance. Yes. It's rare. Nobody takes that stance that strong. Uh, Alhamdulillah. But you cannot do everything by yourself. There has to be union and there has to be collaboration. Uh, you cannot just as one government change the status quo. And the Ittihad has been calling for that uh, union amongst Muslims. It doesn't mean that we are not different countries. We could be different countries, different provinces, different administrations. But there has to be unions and collaboration amongst Muslims. Muslims cannot be divided that much to the extent of fighting against each other. Yeah. Uh, the Ittihad always stood against internal fighting in the Muslim Ummah. Uh, I mentioned yeah. the issue of North Africa between our brothers in the different countries there, Morocco, Nigeria, etc. The Ittihad, yes. the official position is always called, calling for unity and calling for avoiding the border conflicts yeah. and so on. Yeah. So that's the position. Yeah, that's, a, that's an Islamic injunction to yeah, exactly. unite the brothers who are in conflict. Yes. Exactly. Yes. Okay, let me come to the, maybe the, perhaps the last one. On the issue of Palestine, uh, you would have noticed that it is not unfortunate. It's, it's a good thing that South Africa brought the case, uh, the ICJ case, of genocide against uh, Israel uh, at the International Court of Justice. Uh, no Muslim country did that. So what is the position uh, of Itihad has uh, in this context? And I think uh, there may be other countries which may uh, even bring it to the other court, ICC, International uh, Criminal Court, to try the, the leaders of uh, the regime. Uh, for genocide and uh, wars, uh, I mean, uh, war against uh, crimes against humanity. So I think, uh, what 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 would be your position? I I, I taking up this. Uh, I I have not read anything about Itihad uh, having a position on the ICJ and other international uh, action taken by yeah. countries to uh, against Israel. Uh, yeah. So. Can no, the Etihad issued a statement and the uh, president of the Etihad, Sheikh Ali Al-Qaradari, took the statement to the embassy of South Africa in Qatar mm. and put it on social media. The problem is that social media doesn't allow uh, things that are uh, anti-Zionist to uh, spread too much. That mm. is, mm. That's an another problem. Mm. But if you go to the official website of the Etihad, there is a statement on South Africa greeting them for the position they took on uh, ICJ mm. uh, and uh, saying that uh, this is a, a very important uh, revealing kind of statement that they made, uh, especially the accusation mm. that they took uh, in their um, in the official statements of the lawyers. Mm. So they had greeted that and, and also they had noted that uh, the whole system is flawed. So it is not that we rely necessarily on the international system, even though it is important to greet any call for justice uh, or any attempt to give, bring some balance politically or economically and so on. 
But the whole system needs some deep changes, really, uh, because the whole system is proving ineffective. The international community came together and formed uh, the league at the beginning and then the UN and so on for to achieve certain objectives. And it's obvious that because of the pressure of the current uh, situation, it is becoming clear, East and West, that the system is not functioning and that the international order is not genuine. Uh, and uh, people who talk about human rights and freedoms and so forth are not really uh, authentic in their calling for this because yeah, it's very standard. obvious. Yeah, it's it's very standard. obvious. I'm, I'm from Canada. The average Canadian person now knows that this is not true, the, this apparatus of human rights and so on. And that is very dangerous, I know. Yes. But this is basically even the average person, not just Muslims, the average neighbors that we have in, in Canada, for example, uh, know that uh, the game is obviously corrupt and that uh, our government, who is supposed to be uh, standing with human rights and standing with peace, and all the history that Canada has is not taking the same position on what's happening in Gaza, similar to what was happening in Ukraine, for example, mm -hmm. because the system is flawed. Mm -hmm. And that is also part of what the union has voiced. So yes, of course, encourage South Africa and also encourage the Arab, the Arab governments and Muslim governments in general. The statement says that in its title encouraging Arab and Muslim governments to follow suit and go to the international bodies of justice and so on, but also to recognize that there is a deep flaw in the international system that allowed the killing of these tens of thousands of innocent people. Uh, the bigger number, I yes. guess, yes. is in the hundreds of thousands. It's not just... So it's a major massacre that we are watching live on TV. Mm. That There is a problem here that uh, we need to address. And the Etihad, as I mentioned, doesn't have armies, doesn't have political power or any of that. The Etihad is a group of scholars who issued statements and uh, called for a change of, of that status. Yeah. That's, uh, that's very good on the part. I mean, at least, uh, you know, the, the, the important thing is for Etihad, although it is uh, known as a union of scholars, ulama, but they are always up to date with current issues affecting the Ummah and especially political issues, socio-economic issues. So, because this is very important in the context of the development of the Ummah. So, uh, with that, I think uh, we are coming, we have come to the end of the uh, podcast, the, the show. And uh, I thank you very much. Thank for you very much, Prof. For Zakallah. all the uh, information that it's very important that the, that the ulama take a very active role in the affairs of the ummah. Because uh, the ummah have a special space in their hearts for the ulama as, as, the guides, as the guide for the progress and whatever you have. And if they take a, a strong stand on issues uh, affecting the ummah and don't waver and you're, as you mentioned, you're an independent organization and that makes it even more. Uh, so we hope the best for Itihad in the coming years. And, Thank uh, you, sir. Jazakallah and, uh, khair. And it will help the uh, Ummah to move forward. Thank you very much. Barakallah. Alaikum. 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 Alaikum.